You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky. Life's a story woven up, down, in and out, like stitches in If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. Today, Dave and I discuss a common admonition within Christian communities. God won't give you more than you can handle. We're calling this episode, Can You Handle It? Let's find out. So, this week we're doing something a little bit different, I think. So, we haven't done, we're starting to talk a little bit internally here at uh, More Than This headquarters. By internally, we mean Dave and I. Yes. <laughs> Kate, you're blowing our cover. Oh, sorry. I thought We don't know, have a team people, of producers. People think this is multinational. It's not just two chumps sitting in a borrowed office, uh, <laughs> flapping their gums. So, we've started to talk about some of the things that kind of get said in the religious world, especially the conservative Christian religious world, uh, that often send messages that may be a little bit incautious or not thought through. And this week, I've had one on my mind a lot recently because I don't, I don't know if you, you've been through this, Kate. You know, we've had a, we had a episode on suffering, and there are seasons of life, uh, again, that's a Christian term too, seasons, but just there are periods where it seems like there's just a lot of suffering around you and a lot of like really crappy things going on to people you love or in your life. And I think my wife and I have kind of been in one of those recently. And one of the things we have not heard it so much in this season of life, but I've heard it in the past when suffering comes, when trials come, when things are really sort of hard as hell in your life, uh, you, you might hear someone in the conservative Christian world say, uh, God will not give you something more than you can handle. He never gives us more than we can handle. And that comes from a verse in the New Testament, but it's talking about temptation. You know, you know, will with the temptation, you know, in Paul, Paul, I can't remember the reference now. It would have been good to look that up, right, Kate, in advance? You said Paul, New Testament. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find it. Like, I think it comes from the idea where it's like, it's talking about temptation. Well, with the temptation, it'll give you a way to escape. He'll never give you more than you can bear temptation-wise. And that has sort of become this thing where uh, it conflates with God's goodness, right? So God is good, and, you know, this you'll, you'll often hear, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. And for people who have, like, you know, lost a child, lost a parent, uh, experienced like a catastrophic breakup or infidelity or gotten, you know, stage four cancer diagnosis. I don't know what I think about that. So this is kind of what this episode is about. So that's setting the table. The idea is, you know, people will often say, I don't know if it's a, a referendum on the sufficiency of God or the sufficiency of the human spirit. Uh, but this whole idea that we're never given as Christians, I guess especially, or as humans, more than we can handle. So I don't exactly know what people mean by that, other than how it's kind of been taken in my world. So we're kind of moving into our second question early, Kate, but I, I want to get a little background for you. Are you, are you, uh, you know, we talked about this at headquarters, like I said, but just to, to check in with our audience, uh, 
Have you heard this before? Yes. I think I have this image in my mind of uh, people, frankly, using that phrase when situations are bad and they don't know what else to say, almost in a way to comfort someone, like almost in a way, um, you know, it's like the the grandma that comes up to the young mom who's who's got all of her kids with her. It can be used in more benign situation. Oh, God knew you could, you know, God sent you all these kids. God would never give you more than you can handle. Almost, I think it sometimes is used as like an encouragement in a not really dire situation, you know, a tricky but not life and death or stage four cancer situation. And in that case, it feels like I said, I've heard it used like in like an encouraging way, but I have also heard it used, I think, misused when someone just doesn't know what else to say in the face of a really horrible circumstance. It, it can become as cliche as like when somebody passes away, somebody coming up like, God needed another, another angel. angel. And you're like, yeah, lots That's- of expletives. And then you at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, right. So, yes, I definitely in, in many in many different situations ranging in seriousness, I have heard that phrase used by members of the Christian communities of which I have been a part for my whole life. So I would say that, yes, I think this is a common phrase that is used and a sentiment that is expressed. So Kate talked about some of the sort of ways where it's meant to be encouraging. So that's, let's, let's just talk about some of the ways we've heard it used. I think it's, uh, I think initially intended this is gets down to the the breakdown of what communication is right kate uh the the message that sent has to be the message as the one that's received in order for communication to uh be a thing kate's looking at me like she has to sneeze so i know and i managed not to but well we'll see how that goes all right i had (laughs) turned you down in the interim okay so it would have uh, been less of a blowout for our listeners um so it's you know it can be meant in, as an encouraging thing, right? Oh yeah, no, no, you can handle this. And I I actually heard of this one was one time. Um, it was in a Rich Mullins documentary video. And the fact that you watched a Rich Mullins, we're gonna have to talk about that later. The world of Rich Mullins documentaries or people who watch Rich Mullins. I don't know. It was it was actually really inspiring to me. Was it? it was called, he's oh, life. I think his called, life is. Yeah, it was called Homeless Man, and he's he's been gone over twenty years now, which is crazy. He's a, a musician, by the way. If you're not familiar, he's a yeah. contemporary Christian musician. Well, not so contemporary well, anymore, anymore, but yeah, but of that of that of that twenty that years that genre. ago when we were twenty, Dave, he yeah, was contemporary. He wrote uh, Awesome God. That was like the one that he's probably most famous for because it was sung in churches, still is. Um, but he was uh friends with uh, a couple who had a child with some big developmental difficulties. I think uh, the child had Down syndrome and may also have had some hearing issues. And I remember the parents were talking about the the affinity that Rich had for their their daughter that had these challenges. Uh, I think her name was Madeline. And he wrote a song about her. But I think he said, you know, God gave you Madeline because he knew that you were special and you could handle it. I mean, like, and I thought that was really touching at the time, but I wonder how that was received on their end. They, they said it was, it was profound to them. Um, but there's a correlation there that I don't like that. Like all the pain that's meted out is always sort of commensurate with your resilience and gifting and maturity and, that's not true. I think pain is often given to us because it's it's meant for us, if you want to look at it spiritually at all, if it has any sense, it's a vehicle for growth, right? Also, can I just say, too, that whole line of 
thinking, the, and I think this is implicit in the, is that God is doing these things, that God is, that's a whole theological construct or a way of thinking about God. Like, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. I feel like that also assumes, to the Rich Mullins phrase as well, that God did this on purpose, right? Or like God was in that detail and orchestrating that you would have, that you're, like God had a choice between your child being perfectly formed and healthy um, and neurotypical, but chose instead to do something um, different. There's like a, like God's agency is very active and minute almost, right? Or in the minutia. Right. Or at the very worst, he struck a deal. God struck a deal and it was like, well, the kid, you can put a kid with Downs in the world. I don't know how this would work, but give him to, give him to somebody that can handle it. And so there's there's a correspondence there between sort of uh, you know attributes of of a challenge or or struggle or difficulty and attributes of the person whose life it's in. Well, it it puts you into a quandary. So it's meant to be encouraging, but how does that perceived on the other end? I think it's it could be meant to be encouraging, but it can also be meant to be uh, sort of chiding or sort of like reminding, like you need to shape up, like. This is not that big of a deal. It's a minimizing way. God given wouldn't give you anything more than you can handle. So basically, you shouldn't be that worried about this or you'll you'll be you'll be fine kind of flipping. You don't need help because you can handle it. And what does handle it mean actually? Sorry, I'm getting real down in the but I handle know. it. What does it mean to handle it? Like endure, overcome, well, and this thrive, is, just survive. This is this this is where I really went with this because my background is a therapist, uh, and this also, I think, maps strongly onto a lot of areas of the church uh, conceptions and sort of misgivings around mental health and mental, you know, mental help. You know, so um, certain certain churches, like you know, traditions, may the first line of defense is, well, go talk to the pastor pastor had like one course in counseling maybe or like read a book by larry crab like 30 years ago which i'm not saying larry crab is bad but you know some christian his name is bad therapist. sorry no i'm just kidding i'm sure larry crab is awesome i just think larry crab is a i don't know it's not exactly a warm therapist name yeah that's what i meant spelled with two b's does that help kate crab bubba if i could call him larry crab bubba it would help i think it would all soften if i could just call him so- bubba i yeah. would like him even better I don't know. He seems like a kind man. He might not be mind being called a Bubba unless you tell him that your bulldog was also named Bubba growing up. So True. That could sour the deal. Anyway, sorry, Dave. I didn't mean to get you off. So you're saying pastors, your, your point was that pastors are often not very well equipped necessarily for the type of counseling they're being asked to do. Is that fair to say? Yes. And they're sort of like, well, it's more about their role in the organization uh, than actual any sort of spiritual or mental well-being acumen you know like they're not exactly you know pastors aren't necessarily trained well in spiritual formation uh and mental health either so so but the church has often had misgivings where again it gets to secular and sacred psychology right is fraught with a lot of sort of like you know humanistic and worldly things and you know what they're not wrong uh but it doesn't mean that there's no good there no truth there I think that's one of the things that gets interesting here for me is is the, the psychological and spiritual conception of what it means to handle it and its impact on our spiritual and mental well-being. And I think that gets to, I mean, we're talking a little bit, I guess, now about like mental health and how we deal with that in the church. I think there's a push. This actually could be 
a whole episode in and of itself of biblical counseling, right? You'll have people, maybe maybe your church or your faith tradition goes a step beyond having, um, recognizing that maybe the pastor can't deal with all the issues. Maybe because the pastor's a man, you need a woman to talk to women about lady problems. So I remember, even after my mom died, being advised to go see a biblical counselor. And my dad was sort of like, what is this biblical counselor? Like, what background does the biblical counselor have? And I think there are, again, I'm not saying that there's no wisdom there or that that's not ever a useful approach, but it's sort of, and I don't, I think most people would not do this, but it's like the idea, this is like a straw man argument maybe, but, you know, do you treat like multiple personality disorder or schizophrenia with biblical counseling? Like there probably is a strain of thought that would say, oh, it's probably demon, you know, you could see someone saying, oh, there is a, 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 a spiritual root to that problem, or do you treat that with, you know, mental health services and perhaps the appropriate psychotropics that will really, really help? So again, I'm just trying to kind of make the broader argument that sometimes in in evangelicalism, we've been very, to your point, been suspicious of mental health services and have fallen into again. It, maybe in some cases it's helpful, but I, I, is it going too far? You have more experience with, th- with this than I do. I just have a very close friend who's a psychiatrist, and she's a Christian. She's like, I'm a Christian and a psychiatrist. Sometimes both of those things come together. I'm always a Christian. Depends on my client to which level I'm bringing that in. I kind of have to respond to my client's needs, but. I can bring faith into, certainly my faith in Christianity can be brought into my counseling, but I'm also assessing, an, she's like, I'm a doctor, like I'm assessing an, an illness here that has kind of a, for many people, um, like a biophysical or a chemical um, genesis Yeah, there's that can't just be like prayed away. Yeah, there's, this is where it gets interesting. So when we take a lift a passage from scripture that may have very limited application and then just sort of say, God will never give you something more than you can handle. It, it, it comes with certain uh, tools in the bag in terms of what are you given that you can use to handle it? Does that include medication? Does that include counseling? Does that include uh, switching churches? Does that include what does that include a time away from what, what does that include? Uh, in terms of your ability, all the tools you have to handle something. Because what I'm afraid, or talking here about uh, how, you know, what we've, we've sort of heard and now we're, what we're kind of taking away from it, um, in terms of how should Christians think about this phrase, we're getting through the questions early, but um, I'm wondering just in terms of what do people think about themselves when they can't handle it, when they think they can't handle it. So maybe you go through the loss of a job or the loss of a spouse, loss of a child, loss of a way, you know, maybe it's a retirement transition. Transitions are notably stressful, right? They call into question your ability to handle something because it's a change. What you had been handling, the rules changed, the situation changed. And you can't just instantly say the old way I did life worked, the old way I thought about God and the universe and me. Sometimes those things are twisted and don't really map onto your new reality, right? You have to think differently about them. So I always wonder, are, are we in a position where you can look and say, in order for you to handle it, you kind of have to stretch your all your old beliefs and all your old tools and maybe some limited things where, ooh, don't go to a counselor, don't consider meds, don't do anything drastic. 
And then people will sort of say, okay, I'm very limited in what I can use to handle it. So I just have to pray, read my Bible, um, say the right things, sort of muster up belief and, you know, sort of mental assent and sort of confess that God is good and put on a happy face, whatever it is, you know, that's what the, the bar is for handling it. So it has to look a certain way. And I can only use certain things. Certain things are on the outskirts. You can't actually use them and say you're handling it in a biblically faithful way. Does that make sense? It totally does. And I think that that is your point about what toolbox is available to you. It's interesting because it's it's like we have, I don't think, I mean, this is, this gets to like the issue of, of um, the audience and of the Bible was written for like the Bible, you know, biblical authors didn't have a frame of reference to say um, you must only, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say you must only use these approved, you know, you can go to your pastor, next step is a biblical counselor, and then it's your small group, right? Like these are, these are your options for some dealing of, with and, a mental health crisis. Right. And some, obviously some of those are anachronistic. They didn't exist, right? It, yeah. Exactly. They didn't yep. exist. And so also at the same time too, did not exist like the concept of like mental health professionals or like just, and this is not a bad um, thing, just what we've learned about mental health and, um, you know, that we have people who specialize and that we have people with degrees who study these things. Like there are patterns, shocker, like there's patterns to different um, Ill- mental health, like illnesses that um, people deal with, or there are kind of some try, like you've talked about, like cognitive behavioral therapy, or there's, there's different approaches um, to dealing with like anxiety, right? Like there's a whole bunch of different things that we just are like, oh, we've had the chance in our society. We've gotten to the point where we have people that are trained in this and we figured out some things that work kind of well to deal with this problem. And we've been able to practice and learn on a bunch of different people. And also we have this whole world of um, uh, medications that are available that, you know, we've learned about. And so my point just being that the biblical authors wouldn't have even had, a, like you said, a frame of reference, not just for what we've decided are the things that are okay to do within the church, but this whole other realm of things that a lot of evangelicals have said, oh, that's not like, you got to muscle through this just using your people and your Bible. You can't go to those, um, you know, other resources that are available. I think this all gets very interesting because we have a a, a double standard, I think, in, in the Christian world, at least the conservative Christian strain, because we don't this is, has exceptions, but we treat mental and physical health very differently. So uh, most people would not say, hey, I heard your appendix is about to burst, but God would never give you more than you could handle. So just sit here and pray about it and read your Bible uh, and it will be good, right? Most people, now there are faith healing uh, movements, like they're the kind of lunatic fringe, and I'm not apologizing for that expression in this case. I usually don't come down as judgmental that believe it's all a matter of faith. And if you had enough faith, you would be healed and all of your physical maladies would go away. They don't take their, their kids to the doctor. They don't see any professional medical community. We're not talking about those people. But most people in the Christian world will go for a checkup, might get an immunization, uh, if they're in danger of, of a limb coming off, like they might go and get it rectified. If they have a heart attack, they'll call the squad. You know, yes, this is normal. Uh, but where this really gets invoked, I feel like, is on the mental health and uh, sort of physical circumstance side and material circumstance side, where we give a very limited uh, 
amount of tools that you can use. It's like, okay, just deal with it in these ways. And if you can't, um, you're doing something wrong. Maybe the implication that you take away, whether it was intended uh, as encouragement or intended as sort of a, hey, pull it together, you know, suck it up sort of message, you can take away the same bottom line that your faith isn't enough, that you are not, you're failing, right? In addition to just living in really hard circumstances, you also feel on the outside of, of faith, uh, distant from God, sort of unnaturally through this mechanism of people telling you God will never give you more than you can handle. I think that there's also this dovetails very closely or nicely um, with um, um, like American culture as well, which is sort of kind of individualist or like bootstrapping. Yeah. We're going to pull out self up our bootstraps. I mean, I cannot say we've said this many times in the podcast, but I cannot say it enough. I just realize how much of my experience of evangelicalism is so it is like totally shaped by American culture and that it is what it is in every cliff. I had grown up in South Africa as an evangelical, it would be shaped by that, right? It would be shaped by that cultural experience, but we tend to not think about it in that way. We just think that like our culture is like air, right? It's just the normality. Like it's just regular old oxygen we're breathing that, that we need, but it, it right. there's a relationship. Something new is formed when you take uh, evangelicalism and put it with American culture. Those things come together in a unique way that um, has some, and I think that goes along with this, um, like gutted out or like you know. It gets very confusing uh, to your point about Americans. We are not reflective people. We don't have a lot of rooms for poets and philosophers. We like people who like go out and do things, entrepreneurs who like build stuff, and so on one hand. Uh, we look for when, you know, God hasn't given you something more than you can handle. What are you doing? Like, how are you moving forward? Like in, in grief, right? Uh, this is a good example. We often have an invisible timer. Think of one of those like top timers for Yahtzee or a board game growing up where you flip it and the sands go down. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to communicate it, but like you have so long to grieve a death, right? Uh, and maybe you lose a partner, maybe you lose a parent, maybe you lose a, a child. And people will gather around you and weep with you and mourn with you, but only to a certain point, right? And then it's kind of expected like, oh, no, it's been long enough. You should be functional in the same way that you were before. And so there's kind of this like, okay, what are you doing? Like we look to activism and people sort of sitting around like, oh, they're wallowing, right? So there can be this dichotomy of like uh, thought versus action, but then also there's a double bind because there are some actions you may not be able to take because they're not spiritual, right? This is our point. Like, don't see a therapist, don't see a psychologist, don't get on meds, even though that's an action. There are pockets of the church where you hear mixed messages. We look for action in some areas, but also say some actions are cut off and you should just sort of think about it and pray about it and not take action and that should get you through. So I think it's pretty damn thorny kate it's it's real complicated you're you know i know we've been a little bit out of order in this episode so i'm going to go back a little bit to a personal experience it kind of came up to me in in thinking about this i um a couple years after my mom passed away i was attending um I'm not reformed. I feel like I need to always put that disclaimer out, but I was attending a, a reformed church that was pretty there's open. No, there's no reforming, Kate. <laughs> no, uh, totally unreformed. But those of you who know, although I mean not reformed in the theological sense. Um, or the moral sense. 
<laughs> just a reprobate all around. Um, but the church that I went to was very open. It was a Reformed church, and they were very open to having people who are not Reformed there, and it was not a big deal. In any case, the pastor... I went to talk to the pastor because my mom had passed away several years earlier and my dad had recently gotten engaged and that was very, very difficult for me. And the pastor of the church that I was at, his wife um, had passed away and he had gotten remarried and it was very difficult for his children. And someone at the church was like, hey, I bet it would be good for the two of you to talk to each other because you're having the, you know, you're the opposite people in this experience and you might, and it was, he was incredibly kind and we had a great talk and it helped me understand my dad a little bit more and he understood his kids a little more. But what he said to me that I thought was so valuable was, he said, I'm going to recommend, he said, just in talking to you, I think that you need to deal with some of this grief. I can see it's been several years, but this grief is still very fresh, and it, it makes sense that it is. And he said, I really think you need to see, you will be well served by seeing a mental health professional. And I thought he was going to recommend someone in the church or like a, a you know, a family counselor, a biblical counselor. And he said, now I want to be really clear. This person I'm recommending to you is wonderful, well-trained, has a great reputation. Um, I believe that she's Catholic, but she is not a biblical counselor. She's a trained mental health professional, and that's the person that you need to see. I never recommend that people go to see. I've seen too much. He said, I've seen too much damage done when people go for issues like this that are kind of clear and straightforward. I don't want this to get over-spiritualized for you. <laughs> you know, he said, there are some very clear things. I think you need to talk through things. And I think he was, now I realize he was, this woman did cognitive behavioral therapy and I had some PTSD from the accident. He was pretty wise to kind of, he was wise enough to recognize those things and to say, oh, you need a mental health professional who's not going to spiritualize this. She's going to give you the tools to deal with this um, thing. And I just thought that that, that was so I mean, that woman, I saw her for two and a half years, and it was, I mean, that, I, I, I do not think I would be in the place that I am now um, if I had not seen her. And I think we did talk about my faith. I mean, I brought it in, and she was very comfortable talking about it, but that was not how I worked. Does that, I don't know, Dave, as a counselor therapist, if that's making sense, she, we used some tools and some imagery and some different things that really helped me move past some of that trauma and get wholeness and sort of understand things that I do not. I do not believe, I can't say because I didn't have the experience, I don't believe I would have gotten the same type of treatment or therapy from someone who didn't have her training and background. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think this is, to me, is getting the idea of what Christians should think about this phrase. I think I'm splitting hairs here, and some of this obviously is not lifted from Scripture directly. Uh, the idea of handling it, like even what you just brought up, uh, handling something is not going on as if nothing happened and there's n nothing is to change from things that have impacted you. Like I think about vehicles for spiritual growth. Uh, my pastor says, as humans, one of the things that, that God uses, uh, two of the, the biggest things that actually are pain and waiting uh, that God uses to, to teach us, reliance and, and to grow us and all these things. And one of the things that I think there's a couple of cautionary tales here. This maybe gets into the church versus the world. Uh, handling something may be, and from a Christian world, what we shouldn't hear, as I'm just thinking about this, is that you're going to look the same for having gone through something harrowing. You have a, a battle with cancer, you know, or you lose a you lose a kid, or something that just absolutely awful happens, and you're supposed to go back, and everything's supposed to be normal. That's what handling it means. 
oh, BS. That's nonsense, right? That that is not meant to be. And I think that if you're assuming that that is what handling it looks like, you're also assuming that you're not meant to grow. Uh, growth makes you look different, right? You can't say you've grown as a, a physically as a person and you go and your measurables are all the same, right? Your height is the same. Your weight is the same. If you say you've grown, there should be some way of seeing it. I'm not saying exactly when it comes to spiritual growth that we know what that looks like, but difference, right? You should be different for the things you've gone through. It's like, how are you different though? Um, and what is possible? Can you become more loving? Can you become more vulnerable? Can you become more open to people? Can you be filled with more grace for people? Uh, more forgiveness, all the fruits of the spirit. Can you, can you grow in those ways? Um, yes. But to your point, the individualism will kill you, right? How are you supposed to like retreat into yourself, whatever that means, without any resources, without any people, without any of the other good gifts that God has created through, you know, helping sciences, medical sciences, and just come out and be the same? That's, that's false. But also, on the other side, um, we do live in a society that pathologizes any sort of discomfort. Right. We have no, I am melancholic by birth. Right. Like if you take those like four quadrant personality tests. Oh, oh, oh. What are they? Melancholic, phlegmatic, sanguine, and choleric. Yes. I think I'm sanguine. I don't know. I would say so. I'm melancholic. And part of that is how I'm made. Right. And if I'm bent, I have a bent toward depression. Uh, Surely I've, I've been helped by different therapies and spiritual and non-spiritual therapies. That's great. But the idea that we should just medicate things away, that our pain can't teach us anything, that you just get rid of the pain, right? You just go after the pain. That is uh, one strain of humanistic thinking that is not biblical, that, that, and, you know, that God God doesn't have a chance to redeem it. We just sort of try to numb it, right? There's no, there's no growth that can come through something that is just numbed. And that is not what most people do, by the way, when they take antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds. It's not just that. But there is a trend in relational discomfort and physical discomfort. Like, there's no role for it, right? It has no higher purpose other than to be eradicated. And that also is something that we should resist as well, right? That's, that's my thinking on sort of like when we hear this is in a Christian way, what are some things we should try to avoid? And those are sort of opposite sides. And it sounds like what you're saying, too, is it's about how, I mean, really the word, <laughs> we're really narrowing down here, like getting it, you know, working this phrase over. But I think that's because there's so much. This is just a phrase that represents so much, right? Like there's so much there and 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 how we've grown up and how we continue to kind of experience how we're supposed to handle pain or suffering within the um the the our Christian communities or the evangelical church, but it's the phrase handle yes. because it's it is first of all, well, let me step back. First of all, from the verse, I think it's pretty clear that this phrase is not like a biblical phrase. Like we're misusing it, right? Like Absolutely. This the verse that this is coming from, which was is from Paul in the New Testament. See how great I did it narrowing it down there. Um, we're down to a third of scripture. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Quarter. <laughs> um, it, it, that's not the way that it was meant to be used. This is kind of what it's been turned into. Um, 
I think that if you you thought about the phrase God never gives God won't give you more than you can handle the the one thing if there's any truth in it it would be I think I would want to take away from this or if I could distill an idea away and not use the phrase it would be God is intimately connected with you and knows and cares about what you're going through right like that is something God is near to you he is not distant away not present so that idea of the nearness of God or the the care, that I think is very valuable. But I think when it comes to like how the how the phrase handle is def- is defined, that's where it gets really. Yeah, and I think this is interesting. If you really unpack this, you're, it entails a certain view of God either way. So if you say God will never give you anything more than you can handle and you mean you and the limits of your body and your mind and your physical resources are supposed to just take care of it and absorb it, uh, whatever's going on, you basically have cut out God. So God is, would God, would it be logical to say that a relational God who is, you know, powerful and there to help would say, I'm giving you things so that you can figure out that individualism is good. Or is it really, if we, if there is utility, if there is helpfulness to the expression, is it like God saying with me, I am, I'll never give you anything more than you can handle. I will always fill in the gap where if you, if you were just at the end of your resources and you're coming apart through the church, through creation, through the Holy spirit, I will help you. I will help you even if it's excruciating. It's like, because as it stands, it's sort of an individualistic treatise, right? Like, God will never, never give you more than you can handle. You should be able to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And basically, is God really saying something that completely eliminates his role? Right. But also, too, this gets down to the what it means by handle. I, I think I said this to you when we were preparing the episode. Um, Back at, back at headquarters? Yeah, back at headquarters um, in our corner office. Um, sometimes it is more, I mean, if you define handle by like still having life with purpose, people die, things happen to people. Obviously, this is, you know, a very uh, basic statement, but people die. They don't always handle things. Like you get stage four cancer and you die. Or, um, you know, you're a, this is always, this is maybe another episode, but I think about people who are um, Christians um, who die from lack of resources, right? Like you get violent uh, infection and you don't have money for that. You live in a, a, a developing country and you get sick from the water you drink and you don't have the access to simple antibiotics and you die. Like those are true stories. That happens like every day, all the time. So what do we say to those people, right? Like, oh, God wouldn't give you more than you can handle. Well, you died. So I don't know if that, I don't know that that's, you know what I mean? And so if the ultimate conclusion is, well, but everything is made right, and yes, your earthly life is over, but your eternal life is, you know, about to begin, or there's, you know what I mean? There's going to be like a redemption in there that I'm fine with. I just think the phrase, the more I'm thinking about it, Dave, I just don't think that phrase has a lot of, I don't think it's really has any utility. I don't think it's really valid. Maybe. Or we should what if, say what if we, it. What if we changed it to, uh, with God's help, God will never give you more than you can face. Does that face? Face seems better because it's, it's, it's. Because it may be a death sentence, right? It may be that, you know, this world is not our, our final and ever forever home. That's what Christians believe. This is just the beginning of eternity, which 
That's a contentious claim for many. That's that's okay, but that's at least what we believe. So is that does that change it for you? I'm trying to think, I think of, so. of that's, how that's, how we how we switch it to something that feels more faithful or redolent of our experience. I mean, I would almost rather say if I was going to pick a a verse or a a, a saying to say to people, I would say, God will never leave you or forsake you. To me, that would be more, that to me, having been through some hard things, and and again, the scheme of the world of hard things I've been through are like much smaller than compared to what other people have been through. So um, I'm not trying to like claim, you know, but if in in my deepest times, I would have never, I would have never not found someone coming alongside me and saying, God will never leave you or forsake you. I would have never found that unencouraging or untrue, right? That would have been hope. That would have been a light in a dark place always for me. Yeah. And I think it, so. I I think that that's probably, yeah, I like that better. And I think that that's more truer to the tune that God will never leave you or forsake you. Now, are, there, are, 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 are there times that it you do not feel like God is, sees you? Yes. Or do you feel like you've been forgotten? Now, but it's, I think it's better to dwell even in those times, because I've had a lot of those where I'm like, do you do anything? God, like, do you answer prayer? Like, should I pray? Am I just praying all the wrong prayers? Like, I don't feel like you're present or near. Uh, it doesn't mean that God is not. Um, but it it is a very different thing than saying, you know, you you should be able to handle everything or everything should be, you should just have ultimate resilience for things that are part of the broken part of the universe, right? Like we're not supposed to just sort of handle things that are non unnatural. Like death is not, I mean, we have victory over death, but death is not, was not meant to be right. Exactly. Like we are not meant to, you know, when I think about the death of a child, how would you handle, I mean, there's no right way to handle that. Like, or putting it on that valence, even of handling versus not handling. It it gives an action to you. So like, I think that the idea of God will never leave you or forsake you almost says you're not capable. You, you may not recover from this. That may happen. And you can still love and be loved. If you always are in like a state of recovery or if you aren't quite, um, you don't, you know, that's, uh, I think I said a little bit earlier, that idea, it almost seems like kind of a little bit un-American to say God, for the answer to be God will never leave you or forsake you, because we want it to be on us, right? That's like a very, what can I do? Like, how do I do something? And so I even think the phrase, then you can handle, is kind of wrong, because I think part of what you learn, man, Dave, as I get older, I learn, man, I I have agency, yes, but I don't have as much power. I mean, I'm not helpless here, but actually, no, I'll, I'll say it. There are times when I'm very helpless in the face of difficulties. There are problems I can't solve. All I can do is cry out to God and know that he is present and he is listening, and I don't understand how he acts, but I'm not forsaken. So I think that that is, huh, I'm talking myself into it, Dave. So looking at one of the questions, like, does this phrase ever help and how does it hurt? I think we've, we're, we're answering that. This is our third question, but I'm also thinking about one of the ways it might hurt indirectly. Uh, I'm just going to bring this up. This is this is a little bit of Christianese, but Kate, have you ever heard of the the concept of uh, giving a testimony? Yes, of course, Dave. What's, Dave, okay, Dave. what's what's giving a testimony? Just break it down for us. Oh Lord, now I'm going to do it wrong. You sure you don't want to define it so it gets defined the way you want? No, I'll I'll do my best. Giving a testimony is, um, you know, when you're asked to 
get up in front of a group of people and share a story about how God has redeemed something or um, a, a situation in your life, like to talk about God's action and um, saving grace in your life. Yeah, oh the, boy, uh, I used a lot of evangelicalism. No, but this is that's great. This is, but my my thought was this: this is the story we only allow, we only encourage people to tell finished stories, right? The people who have handled it. Right in the parlance of our episode, okay, God has handled it, or I have handled it. I'm on the other side of it, right? Uh, if you go to a, a a group where men meet, a men's Bible study, uh, you know, guys will say they they beat their addiction to alcohol, you know, sex or pornography, and that is a testimony. Uh, nobody ever gives testimony to God not leaving or forsaking in the moment where everything feels terrible, right? You don't get people get it, getting them up like. I am, you know, actively cheating on my spouse right now, and I'm trying to break the stronghold of this, you know, attraction to this other person. And it's really hard because my wife really hates me right now, and my kids really hate me. Uh, that's not a testimony we welcome in church, right? right? It's like it might be a prayer request, but it's not making the headlines, right? It's buried on the back page. Uh, and I think this has an idea. This this is related to the idea of being able to handle something. It's, it's like see. We could handle it. We got through it. And these are, these are the stories that people want up front. But what about the person who never really gets there? Is never able to, to give that testimony with that sort of certitude that like, yes, this is behind me. Yes, this has been defeated. That there needs to be room for that. Yeah. Do you know who, I don't know if you've read um, or familiar with Brennan Manning or if you've read um, any of his stuff. I really like him. He's a, he's, uh, I think he passed away a couple of years ago. He did. But he was, I I think he was a monk for a while. He was a Catholic. And priest. Priest? Wasn't he a monk? Well, anyways, he was priest and a monk. Aren't you priest and monk? Well, we got to go back to flirting with Rome for me to remember if they're, you're both a priest and a monk. But in any case, he was um, Catholic, but wrote um, a series of books. He's really famous, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Anyways, he wrote a series of books, but what was so interesting about him is that he was an alcoholic, and that was honestly the source. His his writings on grace and the need for the, the the just the wonder of the gift of grace were really profound and the reason he was able to keep writing those things is because he kept lapsing back into alcoholism so he was writing all of these books and then he would he would write a book and go on a book tour and then have a bout where he said I would just wake up in a street like disorientated drunk passed out in the middle of a street and I would have to go through that cycle again like it was a never ending cycle for him that he was constantly in a very public and kind of open way and there are a lot of people that criticized him or like how can we take Brendan Man seriously he's just a sinner who keeps lapsing and he was like exactly that is my <laughs> like credibility that, that is and so i think um you know but you don't get many stories like that right like we we don't want we just want like one and done success and done right you get one big catastrophe or one big fall failing and then you get over it and then you move on right right so we need we we need to make room for this is getting into our stretches now the idea of like what what can we do in our own lives or personally or collectively just where can we grow in this area and i think that sort of feeds into one of them is like where do we make space for people to tell tales that are incomplete that are not showing handling that are in transition and you're not sure how it's going to end right uh this kind of gets into the idea of doubt as well because those may not be Faith build confident certain areas of life, right? Where you're you're like, I know that I'm gonna overcome this and 
life will be normal again, or I won't struggle with addiction, or I won't struggle with grief or loss, probably not going to happen. But as we make that kind of prescriptive that it has to end that way, um, and that's what God does or doesn't really do anything, you're, then it's like either your lack of faith and you're not stepping into what God has. I think we need to make room for stories like that. And I don't know all of what that means personally. Um, I do somewhat. I mean, I, I think I do this. So maybe it's, it's probably, there's always a stretch, even if you're already sort of decent at something. But I, I'm pretty good at handling people who have a lot of doubt or have a lot of pain. And that's part of my calling too. So I know that maybe comes a little more readily to me. But I think I would like people to hear too that struggle with anxiety or depression, that that is not something just to be eradicated. It's something that is meant to build empathy and, and relation for somebody else. Like my depression really helps me sit with people who are depressed or, or melancholy or anxious and talk with them and, and give them some balance and nuance and not just like amp it up or tell them ways that they have to get rid of it, but also just sort of sit with it. And I think that's my stretch. It's uncomfortable and hard. Um, you know, that message of God will never leave you or forsake you, it, I, I think to bring that message into people's lives means being present with people, doing what you can to help and understanding that sometimes just being present is all that you can you can do. So you can't fix right situations. I have a tendency. Um, I know that men often get blamed for this, but I was like, no, I think they're getting a bad rap because I also like to fix. I want to come in and Glad you know. this is on tape. <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of like a, a you know, I'm a sanguine or whatever that means. I don't even remember what it means, but I'm like, a, um, you know, more upbeat or like kind of, I, I usually come in with a lot of energy and that can be helpful sometimes, but also it's, a, it's sometimes I just have to be able to like sit with someone and say, I'm present, like God is present with you and I am, and you are not, just to kind of be the bearers of that message, to say to people, just because you haven't quote unquote handled it, doesn't mean that God's forgotten you, doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong, doesn't mean that you can do anything different, right? Like sometimes this is like to your earlier point where you started, this is a season of life that you're in and we, we will, I will be here with you in it, whatever that means, whatever you need me to be for you in that season. That's a stretch for me. And I, I think I would be remiss as a, a therapist and someone who seeks to be a good friend to say, if there's anybody listening and you are, you do feel like you're alone in something that you can't handle, especially if it's really impacting your mental and, and physical health, Christian or no, don't buy the individualism trap, find help. Either if you're a Christian, find a community that's good with incomplete stories that, that will countenance doubt and struggle and understands mental illness and, and will just sit with you or to anyone, find, find professional help if you can. Uh, don't, don't sit alone with it. That's a lie, uh, whether you're in the church or not, that you're supposed to bear these things on your own. It's just not true. So seek help. And I'll just leave it at that. Thanks so much for being with us this week. Uh, hope this episode had some moments of levity. Uh, I got it, got it unstuck from my crawl. So, so that's good. Uh, and yeah, hope that, hope that you guys have a good day. Life's not a sequence program.